And this, welcome, this is our latest podcast during the social distancing phase. Today we're going to talk about the Federal CARES Act and how that does, apply, does impact all of you as Justice Court judges. As always, you'll find our written materials in the Hightail Spaces page. You'll find that link in the podcast notes. There'll also be a CoJet certificate there for you to turn in. Uh, so please make sure that you do follow up with that information. Our presenters today are Jessica Cruz, who is the Rental Assistance Programs Manager for the Housing Authority of Maricopa County, Pam Bridge from Community Legal Services, and Denise Holliday from the law firm of Hall, Holiday and Holiday. And so we will start with Pam. Uh, Pam, uh, can you go ahead and give us a, an overview of what the, CARE, the Federal CARES Act is and how that affects us? Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic uh, Security Act. So that's what CARES stands for. And it's a huge economic relief bill um, allocating a couple trillion dollars to support individuals and businesses, a lot of money uh, going to, um, to individuals, and also protections for homeowners um, and businesses. And one small part of it um, also involves uh, tenants. And the CARES Act says that if um, a landlord uh, cannot file an eviction if a tenant um, uh, for payment of rent against a tenant who um, lives in certain types of federal subsidized housing and they cannot charge um, late fees for tenants who live in certain subsidized housing programs. Um, also, the same protections apply to tenants who live in properties with federally backed mortgages. So the questions that um, the speakers are going to talk about today are, how do you know if um, tenants are in these federal subsidized programs or have this federally backed mortgage? Um, I'm going to list uh, the types of federally backed housing programs that the CARES Act applies to. Um, so it's important that you know that it's just federally subsidized programs. There's a lot of tenants who reside in state housing programs. That does not, the, ten, the CARES Act does not apply to them. Um, but it does apply to tenants who are in public housing, Section 8 housing choice voucher programs, Section 8 project-based housing, Section 202 housing for the elderly, Section 811 housing for people with disabilities, Section 236 multi-family rental housing, Section 221 D3 below market interest rate housing, home housing opportunities for persons with AIDS, McKinney-Vento Act homelessness programs, Section 515 Rural Rental Housing, Section 514 and 516 Farm Labor Housing, Section 533 Housing Preservation Grant, Section uh, 538 Multi-Housing Rental Housing, and Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Programs. So tenants who um, are participating in those programs have protections under the CARES Act in addition to tenants who have, um, who live in pro 
properties of a federally backed mortgage. So, um, this is Denise Holiday. One of the things that we want the judges to understand is that it's not always easy to tell when the case is in front of you when you're reading the summons and complaint and looking at the attachments. Um, but here's really the big difference. One are called brick and mortar subsidized programs, and the other ones are what we call portable programs. And, and here's the big difference. The brick and mortar is what you think about the entire building. Everyone who lives in that building qualifies to live there under a specific program requirement. And that's when we're talking about um, what we call 811s or 202s. Everybody there qualifies to live under that particular program, um, including ones like the low-income tax credit housing. Then there are other what we call more portable, where the house, the brick and mortar, is not covered, but the person who lives in the housing project does. And so that could be an apartment community or a house, and that would be like a Section 8 voucher, a rapid rehousing voucher, a VA. There's a number of different types of programs where the person is the person who's getting the benefit and the owner agrees to participate in that program. That's very different than brick and mortar. The interesting thing I think that most of you will see as a judge is that the brick and mortar properties know that they're fully covered, and so it's not very likely that you're going to see those at all because they received federal funding, they were immediately notified of the, the restrictions, and you're probably not going to see those at all unless they're for, for something else like an immediate. The bigger problem that I see is that a lot of the homeowners, the single-family homeowners, or the smaller apartment complexes, they're not going to understand um, the CARES Act, and so if they're represented by counsel, one of the things that all of us are doing is asking them and having them sign something explaining what the mortgage is, VA, FHA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or if you take any of these special voucher programs. If you're dealing with somebody who's not represented, that's going to have to be something that you probably want to ask. Is, is this a subsidized program? Does someone, does this tenant participate in that program? And I think that'll help you understand when you're looking at the paperwork, you'll see special language like a CFR, that's a federal regulation, or you'll see that, there's a, that the rent is this dollar amount, but then the tenant only pays this portion, and that's usually a typical cover sheet that says what their assistance is. Um, and that's, I think that will help you understand which programs um, do you need to now look at specifically to see if they're allowed to be going forward on an eviction for nonpayment. Right. Denise, this is Jessica Cruz, and I'll go ahead and speak to that a little bit. So we, we at HAMC, uh, we do have quite a few programs, the Section 8, the HCV program, and uh, the VASH vouchers, and just an array of different types of vouchers. So we do work with a lot of single-family homeowners where they may not understand that you know, they are receiving a subsidy. And so what's important is that when, you know, the judge takes a look at some of these agreements before Section 8 and HCV, there is a HAP contract that is between the housing authority and uh, the landlord or the owner so that, you know, ultimately explains that they, they are receiving a subsidy uh, which would fall under the CARES Act. For rapid rehousing, I, I have worked with rapid rehousing in the past, and, and that that would have to be, uh, there's not necessarily a HAP contract, but there are agreements that the landlord or the, the owner generally does have agreement with the subsidy, whether it be, you know, a housing authority or 
uh, nonprofit organization issuing the subsidy. So there are, like you said, documentations that identify CFR or if there's any uh, documentation with VAWA audits. Um, that those are things that the judges are going to look for to see if there's a, a tenant rent portion or or a half payment, which is a housing assistance payment, and which is covered under the CARES Act. Um, this is Pam, and we um, a lot of times we see housing that's low-income housing, tax credit housing, and it's always even difficult for advocates of CLS to uh, determine if the housing is uh, LIHTC. But one thing that helps us, that may help judges, is that somewhere a lot of times as part of um, the lease, there's a reference to Section 42A of the IRS code, so because that they won't have half contracts with LIHTC. Although some tenants have Section 8 and live in LIHTC, but if they if the lease refers to the IRS code, especially Section 842A, that is the section that deals with low-income housing tax credit. So that's always a tip that that we use to help us find that type of program. All right. Uh, Denise, did you have anything further? Um, I do. So one of the things that I think when, we, when we're teaching the classes on subsidized housing is if the, if the judge can consider a triangle. So when normally a landlord-tenant case is a straight line, you have a landlord and a tenant and they negotiate a lease and they're the two parties and they have every right to negotiate any terms and conditions they want as long as it's, it's um, in compliance with the Arizona state law. Uh, and specifically the Landlord-Tenant Act. The, the subsidized programs have an additional layer of federal protection, and so we think about those really more like a triangle because the federal government um, has some very specific qualifications for a person who can have that voucher or participate in that brick-and-mortar program. And when we're looking at the analysis of whether the, under the CARES Act this eviction for nonpayment can go forward, the, the question to, from the court is, is there another agency or entity that is involved in this rental agreement? And I think that statement will help uh, elicit a, a correct response from the plaintiff. If the answer is, I don't know, well, then they may have to reschedule that to find out because they, under federal law, it is illegal to move forward with an eviction for nonpayment during this 120-day moratorium if the the program as a subsidized program or if the loan is a federally backed mortgage. Right, One thing is that the complaints have to say whether it's if it is subsidized. Again, that can be a clue at least to uh, start there. Um, although, again, there are programs that are subsidized um, that are not federally subsidized. Right, and so the complaint is just going to say, is, is just supposed to say whether it's subsidized, not whether it's state or federal. Right. Well, and Charles, I think we're going to attach to part of our materials both the document, the information sheet that Community Legal Services put out that lists all the particular programs. Additionally, we have a, a flow chart that might help courts um, recognize if it's for non-payment or non-renewal or something else. What is the analysis? And the fir very first question, if it's a non-payment of rent case, is it, does the CARES Act um, stop or stay this particular eviction? And if so, what do you do? Um, because they didn't have the ability to file. And it's 
uh, I think it's a, a good idea that if they didn't have the ability to file, it wouldn't stay the eviction. It would cause the eviction to be dismissed because it didn't, you didn't have the ability to file it in the first place because there is a federal moratorium on non-payment of rent cases. Um, and additionally, there's also a moratorium on non-renewal evictions that are under the CARES Act, which is the federally backed loan or that if you participate in a federally subsidized program. So they can't non-renew the tenant and they can't issue a new non-renewal notice until after July 25th when that uh, moratorium lifts. And that was my next question is, what is going to happen once the moratorium is lifted? Um, well, I mean, chaos, no, but after, after the chaos is that um, it's, it says that they uh, have to give a, a notice and tenants can receive a 30-day notice at that point. So the moratorium ends at July 25th. Uh, landlords then are supposed to um, give a notice uh, with at least 30 days that they are terminating the tenant. I think it's going to be difficult, and I feel hopeful that by then uh, the federal government will come with something that's going to help us navigate that because, um, uh, importantly, tenants, um, uh, they didn't lose their obligation to pay rent during all of these months. Although they can't be evicted for non-payment of rent, they still owe the landlord that amount of money. So uh, what the CARES Act does, they don't address that. At the same time, um, uh, homeowners um, and um, businesses with federally backed mortgages, they can be getting forbearances of their mortgage payments. That's how, you know, so they do have assistance, but there's going to be assistance for them at the end of the 120 days so that uh, they don't have to pay all of these mortgage payments at the end also. So we're hoping that there will be perhaps some kind of uh, guidance when we get to that point because both businesses um, and tenants are, are going to be in a difficult position. And if I, and if I may. Okay. okay, so under Section 4022 and 4023, it talks about the forbearance of the residential mortgages. The, the difficulty that we believe is going to happen is those forbearances are for 30 days, and you can reapply up to 90 days, but the, but the stay is for 120. So there is potential that this property may go into a receivership or to a foreclosure because they're um, behind, because a large majority of their tenants are not paying. The interesting also thing I think that the courts will have to look at is when you are now receiving this big influx of non-payment of rent cases, you'll need to be checking if they're federally re related or federally subsidized, um, then you'll need to make sure there are no late fees charged for that 120-day moratorium. And so they would be backed out of any potential notice. Um, there's, a, there's a disagreement um, on the federal level about what, what kind of notice and can the landlord continue to give a five-day non-pay to these um, CARES Act uh, tenants. And the consensus is just not there. So the idea is can you give a non-pay notice? If you do, it certainly cannot list um, any kind of late fees. But um, it could remind the tenants that be careful because you can actually be in violation of your program guidelines um, and it can impact their ability to stay in the program. And so we're encouraging tenants that can pay uh, because remember the CARES Act doesn't address whether you can pay or not. It's completely irrelevant to the tenant situation under the CARES Act. It deals with only what the landlord relationship is with the federal government. So we're encouraging tenants if you can pay, you really want to continue to do that 
because we'd hate for you to lose your ability to be in that program because you didn't comply with the rest of the terms. This is Jessica. I was just going to go off of um, what Denise was saying, and, and that is, in fact, true. We have received a lot of inquiries from participants of our subsidized programs uh, basically saying that they were under the impression that they didn't have to pay and HUD has released, uh, you know, a new PIH notice that does specifically say uh, that is not the case. They are, if they can pay, they are responsible for their tenant rent, and that was released on 410. Uh, so just want to throw that out there as well. Absolutely. And then because we also know it's true that if they have a monetary judgment at the end of this, at the end of 120 days, it's going to be difficult for them to find a new, another place with a monetary judgment. So we, we are in agreement that if the tenant can pay, they should continue to pay. And if they can't pay, they need to be reaching out to some of the programs like the Arizona Department of Housing Assistance or looking for ways to get assistance um, with, their, with their rental payment. Jessica, what, what sorts of questions are you getting about the CARES Act from, uh, from uh, individuals? Sure. So, so the, we, we're seeing quite an array. I'll go ahead and start with our uh, participants that are currently enrolled in our HCV Section 8 programs. We are seeing a very large influx of participants that are losing their income, that are being furloughed or have been laid off altogether, so they are encouraged to submit their interim re-exams so the PHA can process that. They, they also are, are saying, you know, well, based on the CARES Act, I don't have to pay, and we're just informing them, you know, if, if this is due to COVID-2019, then you need to document whatever it is, so that way if you are not paying your portion that you're responsible for and you do end up getting evicted at the, the end of this um, time frame that you're going you're gonna to want to be able to share what documentation or what efforts you've had to, to try and find employment or make arrangements to make your tenant rent payment. So we do have questions about uh, some of our participants, you know, not feeling like they have to pay and we've just kind of advised them to you know, make all the, the means that they can. And then we also have questions about other voucher holders that maybe are not currently, um, you know, receiving the subsidy or in housing yet, um, but but that doesn't really mean they're going to be evicted. So that we, we, we're seeing just an array of different questions in regards to what, what and how they can pay and um, ultimately, fearful that they're going to not be able to, to stay in their housing, but at the same time, just like what Pam said, we're referring them to our community partners to try and find some relief or some short-term um, assistance to try and help them, you know, pay their rent. And what, all right, did, uh, does anyone have any other comments um, or that our judges need to know about the CARES Act? Nope, I think that covers it. Right. I do. I think, it co I think that covers everything so far. And a lot of our judges are going to want to know what, what sorts of resources do we have for our, our tenants out there? Um, so, 
as I mentioned, tenants can apply to the Arizona Department of Housing. Um, they have, uh, you can go to their website and apply. If you are struggling to pay rent because of COVID-related um, problems, you can apply and, and do so immediately when, as soon as you start having problems because there are many, many people applying for those funds right now. You still will be responsible for paying 30% um, of your income from the previous month so that if a, uh, if a tenant applies right now, they would have to look at the income they had in March and pay, they'd still be responsible for 30%. But it is a huge resource. Um, we should be telling people um, to be going to that website or calling their community action agency if they don't have a computer um, to apply for those funds. Uh, one thing I would say, Pam, as well, is because some of these resources are extremely limited, and, and while it is ideal to have some sort of community resource assist folks in, in, in this time, we also are, as a community in Maricopa County, we, we encourage these folks that are falling on hard times to really try and uh, find their own solutions. Take the time, and, 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 and it sounds maybe super simple to us, but, but for some folks in crisis, it's really challenging for them to be able to take a step back and look at what resources they might have. Because truthfully, if they're able to self-resolve with any of their own resources, it's likely that they're going to be able to self-resolve quicker than the system can help them. So if they have any sort of, you know, financial investments or, or any family or friends that might be able to help them as well, we, we strongly encourage that they take a look at those those resources first because the resources are so limited within our county that uh, these are some of the questions that I guarantee are going to be asked when they are screened for the assistance. And, and Charles, one of the things that we've noted is that the, the, fam the, the communities that already uh, work with these subsidized properties, they're well entrenched into the system and they've got some great independent resources of some private partnerships that they work with. And I believe that we have available for the judges a whole list of, uh, of resources for not just for rent, but for utilities and for food. And if, if they can talk to the landlord and reach out, we've been really encouraged that a lot of owners are coming up with some pretty creative processes about, you know, forbearing part of the rent toward the end of the, of the contract um, or agreeing that if they make a payment, you know, every week, that they will not do a negative reporting on their rental history. They'll basically just say that they've always been current. So there's some really creative, yeah, some things that the parties are doing, counting it as a rental, rental concession, a one-time COVID rental concession. If you, do, if you pay this amount by this date or these dates, we'll agree in a written agreement that we'll waive this or we'll, you know, a concession of this or that we'll, that we'll move it toward the end of the contract and that we will not notify future landlord that there was ever a disruption or, or in your payment history. And I think that by, by choosing not to cooperate with the landlord and not even to speak to them, they're, they're really missing out on some other options that are available. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Denise and Jessica, again, I will say that uh, some of the things that our housing authority is doing is we are contacting our landlords or our owners, and we're having conversations with them in regards 
to, okay, if you go this route of eviction, you know, you've had this tenant in your unit for three years where you received an ongoing subsidy and and we don't we can't guarantee you what the, the market's going to look like after this. So we've really tried to mitigate that relationship that we've already established with the landlord in trying to keep the participant housed. So, so I just wanted to share that as well. And I'd also like to point out the Department of Apartment Housing, if, they, if people go that route, that they should still, as Denise said, be communicating with their landlord. I mean, that money uh, may be coming late. Uh, the tenant still needs to pay their part and pay it on time. Uh, yeah, so we, we've been telling, and, you know, people who have mortgages, talk to your private mortgages and tenants. Talk, communication kind of right now is the key, I think. And I think, Charles, probably the biggest thing we're concerned about, and I think the court system is concerned about, is how will this impact housing in the long term? As we know, we already have a shortage of subsidized housing, and, and the fear is that you're going to have a tenant who makes a decision based on something they heard on the news um, and what they were told on social media, and that that somehow could cause them to lose this terrific benefit of subsidized housing in the future without understanding that that was a consequence that was coming down the road. And, and I think that all of the, the partners um, in these programs are working really hard to get that word out and to share that with both the tenant and the court system is that we want to make sure that you don't do anything now that would impact your ability to continue to stay in your housing program because that's a really it's a hard benefit to get in and we sure would hate for them to lose it. Good. All right. Does anyone have anything further? Nope. I think that'll, that'll cover it. Thank you so much, Charles, for having us um, do this. I think this is really, really important that they, we get this information out, and I'm very grateful that you're, you did this You did this phone call. Well, thank you all for you making yourselves yeah, available, because you I agree it was important to, to do this on a timely basis. And uh, as events unfold, we may be doing more of these in the very near future, so, so monitor your email. Again, everyone, you can find the materials in Hightail. You'll find a CoJet certificate in Hightail. And thank you for listening.
Adelaide, don't tell me you're so upset over one lousy elopement. Nathan, I have succeeded in your not being able to upset me no more. In fact, I have got you completely out of my... Yeah. 